Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities, a network of private campuses working to educate students for the public good. Our podcast speaks with insightful experts about current and future issues in higher education and examines the impact of higher ed on society. Thank you for joining us. What is executive function? And how can improving executive function skills increase student retention and academic success, especially for a neurodivergent student population? I'm your host, Sean Creighton, president of NACU. In this episode, I speak with Brandon Slade, founder and CEO of Untapped Learning. Brandon struggled with academics throughout high school, but in college, he recognized that his brain did not work like his peers. After receiving an ADHD diagnosis, Brandon set out to better understand how the ADHD brain works. And after teaching special education for 12 years, he started Untapped Learning. The company's mission is to help students with executive function challenges, specifically students with ADHD and dyslexia. Let's begin by having you tell us a little about your story. You know, and what led to the idea and and creation of the company that you founded, Untapped Learning? Yeah, so, I mean, my story and my trip to higher education is a little bit of an alternative path. So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and I was actually diagnosed with ADHD, hyperactive ADHD at the age of five years old. It always breaks my heart when I hear someone get diagnosed at like 25 or 30 or, or beyond. You know, they know there's something wrong, but they're not sure what's going on. That was not me at all. I was the type of person where I was flipping desks, I was jumping on tables, and there are teams of people trying to come in and, and watch me and trying to figure out what was wrong with this child, right? So whether it was a 504 plan or an IEP, I had support throughout elementary, middle school, and high school. And then I was able to get through fine, but I left high school from Boulder, Colorado, and I went out to Ohio on a football scholarship, and that's when just everything fell apart for me. So I couldn't manage the academic with the athletic, with the social, just the executive function skills we're going to talk about in a little bit. I just couldn't navigate this thing called you know college or university or whatever it was. So bombed out, and then I had to do the hard work to get back in and and you know take the steps, put in the work on myself, develop these skills, figure out how to be a student. And so finished school in Ohio, um, got my graduate degree from Arizona State and University of Colorado Denver in school psychology. And I taught special education and you know, worked in the foster care system and did a lot of work with kids for about 12 years. And then just kind of stumbled into what we're doing now called untapped learning. Um, we went to Home Depot. We got a fake piece of turf. That'd be fun to throw the football with a few hyperactive kids while they learn Spanish, just because that's how I ticked. And I thought there could be a few kids out there like that. And um, just kind of blew up on us. So we have a couple centers throughout Colorado. We work with, you know, our core populations are ADHD, anxiety, dyslexia, kids recovering from concussions, students on the spectrum, and just a lot of kids who are very smart and scattered. So we work with um, not only work with kids, but we work with at different universities and different colleges across the country. We work with staffs, professors, athletic departments, doing whatever we can to help people understand these skills and what they can do at a high level to make their life easier by just implementing a few things that can really help students thrive. That is a great story to think about like your own personal experiences and then recognizing what needed to be done and now translating that in a way that helps others. And, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions about if everyone understands who's listening, like what executive function skills 
are. So maybe uh, you could talk a little bit about when you talk about executive function, what is that exactly? Thank you for asking. Most people just brush right through that. And there's so many misconceptions out there because it's a buzzword in education right now. So the definition I like the most is it's the complex set of cognitive processes that all work together so you can achieve your goal. So your goal may be something big, like I want to get that college scholarship, or I want to be star at the musical, or I want to graduate with honors. So it's reverse engineering that goal into small daily actionable steps and transitioning through those steps to get that goal. But your goal could also be something small, like I want to get out of my dorm and get to class on time, or I want to pay attention. So whatever it is, it's your executive function skills that reverse engineer that goal, break it into small manageable chunks and help you get there. Taking a quick step back, what comprise your executive function skills or, you know, planning, organization, attention, task initiation. So this is what we've seen plummet post COVID is for our students getting started seems to be like 75% of the task right now. Follow through metacognition or self-assessment. So those are all the small things that make up our executive function skills. It's important for everybody to have and to develop these skills. And, you know, what we do and what so many other people do in this work is, What's best practice for every student is essential for our kids. And again, you know, post pandemic, our kids didn't solve problems for several years. And so this was our surprise is we're seeing a huge lag from nearly every student when they get to college, reverse engineering these big problems they're having into actionable steps is causing a lot of mental health challenges just because they don't have these skills. They never develop them. You know, when we talk about these skills, first of all, they have nothing to do with intelligence which was a huge surprise to me is just how many kids we're working with who are just brilliant. We call them the kids who are going to cure cancer, but can't fight their car keys, right? Just brilliant scattered kids who, if you put in some structure, some accountability and some interventions, they thrive. When I was reading about your program, it said that, uh, you know, you improve these skills through mentorship and movement. Maybe you could paint a picture of like, you know, what, what that experience looks like for a student that uh, comes into your program. So one of my least favorite stats to cite is the typical kid with ADHD gets 20,000 more negative comments than positive comments by the age of 10, and then it goes up exponentially from there. So what the research shows us is that if we can go two positives to one negative, so I always use the term two pats on the back, one kick in the tail, right? It's love, love, accountability. Then we see huge growth in developing these skills. So the mentorship model tends to work really well when you have a relationship with someone and you care about them and you let them hold you accountable, that works really well. So with the movement piece, if you were to get a diagnosis of ADHD or anxiety or whatever, people tend to want to go to what we call the top of the pyramid. They like rush to disability services and they're like, I need all the interventions, right? I need extra time. I need this, I need that. Well, those can be very helpful but only if you put in the work of the foundation. So research shows us the most bang for your buck in developing these skills is sleep. Right now, there's a thing in neuroscience. We can't tell if our kids have ADHD or they're just so sleep deprived because they're up all night on their phone. They present the same way. So sleep, exercise, um, the book sparked by Dr. John Rady cites that 15 minutes of getting your heart rate up per day is performing better than Adderall right now in clinical studies for attention, learning, memory, retention, structure, and systems and routines. So sleep, exercise, structure, and routines, that will get you the most bang for your buck in developing these skills, especially when you're going from a very structured environment, you know, the home, to an unstructured environment for the college campus. 
that structure and those routines, they're just essential for people like me who just work differently. So obviously you're working with students. That's your primary kind of audience that participates in the program. But then, you know, in terms of uh, who finds untapped learning, is it, is it parents, is it administrators, faculty, or is it the students themselves uh, finding you? Like, yeah, how, how do they learn about this service? It's actually all the above. So, yes, we, we do work with kids and, and kind of build that transition, especially either if they go on academic probation or they just know they know they might struggle with that transition. And one of the things that's so surprising to me, because, you know, I did not do well in my ACT or SAT or anything like that, is all these like super bright, high achieving kids who their schedules are just so packed that they need to be efficient with their time. So it's a mixture of all those, you know, when we work with a faculty at a university or a college, it looks a little different. So we're, you know, we come in, we help train on executive function skills, but also we look at like what we call tier one interventions. So if we can help professors organize their online portals, whether it's a Canvas or a D2L or something of that nature, you know, one of the huge issues our students are having now, whether they have an executive function challenge or not, is if they get an assignment at a lot of places, the rubric is posted one where, one place. The description of the assignment is posted someplace. And so like it's this kind of game of hide and go seek. So if we can, you know, work with staff on how to organize their online portals and do simple things like have them hyperlink scripts of how they want students to advocate to them into their syllabus. Things like that. We see a huge bang for a buck with our kids. And, you know, most kids never need services of people like me or disability services or whatever that is if we can do a lot of these tier one interventions that give us a lot of bang for a buck. So, I mean, your focus obviously is on on student success, academic success. Uh, you kind of already cited some of the research that goes into supporting the work you're doing. Can you talk about, you know, the results that you're seeing? Like, uh, you know, is there a direct correlation between the work that you're doing and increased student retention or academic success? Tell the positive impact uh, that you're having uh, through this work. Yeah. So yeah, our, our, we're, we're fortunate enough that our program does have phenomenal data. Um, you know, our retention numbers are way up and we'll, we can put that in, in, in the show notes if anybody's interested. But where we see the biggest growth and, and the best data is with decreased anxiety and then obviously increased retention, but basically just learning how to learn. So we have a unique mentality and I never thought this would land with so many students. But um, I thought it would land with one type of, you know, athletic student. But we, we do everything through the Navy SEAL mentality, discipline equals freedom. It's made famous by Jocko Willick, and it's counterintuitive. But once our students understand it, it really makes sense to them. So here's how this plays out. So if we can help a student and discipline them enough to get to office hours with a professor or a TA, that 30 minutes saves them an hour and a half to two hours on the back end by the time they initiate the task, maintain attention, focus, follow through. If our students are disciplined enough to get some kind of morning workout or get the blood flowing, well, they have more efficient learning, memory, attention, retention. Same thing with academic routines. So it goes on and on and on. With faculty members, if they're disciplined enough to have their online portals as organized as possible, and then hyperlink in scripts on how to advocate or really teach students how to do their class, well, they have the freedom of not chasing kids around for missing assignments or you know, having to catch all these kids up later on or answer a bunch of emails. So they have a ton of freedom with that little discipline on the front end. So that mentality has really landed well, and I think that increases um, the data as well, decreases anxiety. You've referenced a couple of sources. I mean, the philosophy you just referred to, is that something like that the, the students uh, 
actually have to read about? Is that part of the learning or is it more behind the scenes of kind of the approach that you take? Both. So, so if they want to read, they can dive in deep, but it's more, we're an incredibly concrete organization. So one of the issues, you know, in, in, in my world is that we want to tell students the importance of planning or like you need to advocate to your teacher. But until we get really concrete with these students, remember, this has nothing to do with intelligence, but a lot of our students, their, their frontal lobes are three to five years behind in maturity. It catches up if you do the work, but we're trying to give them these abstract things. So what we want to show them is, and we make it very clear and explicit, it's like you just went to this office hours with your TA. Look how much freedom you have on the back end. You have the rest of the day to do whatever you want to do. And that little voice in your head, that anxiety voice is not nagging you. So we really come at it. We just reinforce it over and over with our students, kind of show them that mirror on how much freedom in their life has opened up and how much they can enjoy campus. Tell us a little bit about just the business model. Like who, uh, I'm sure it's not a free service, you know, <laughs> who paid for the program? Are there other support, financial support avenues that you as a company are exploring? And then I guess just add to that question, uh, how the program has been received by universities. Yeah. So for our sixth graders through 12th graders, parents pay, and then we scholarship in as many kids as we can. So like I said, you know, I would do a lot of work with the foster care system. And so we, we do whatever we can there, right? So sixth grade through 12th grade, parents pay. And then at our student athlete, you know, we're at several sports complexes. So those student athletes pay as well. And then in universities, if a student works with us one-on-one, you know, we see our kids twice per week. So either on a Sunday or Monday to plan, get ahead of the week, practice talking to their professor, studying for a test. And then we see them again on a Thursday or Friday, which is very different than just the resources that most people have on a college campus. So that is student pay as well. And then um, universities have compensated us to work with a few kids as well, just to increase their retention numbers. And then universities have also paid us to work with their staff. And along with that, we do a lot of pro bono work for first generation students. And I can go into what that planning and that front loading could look like to increase retention there. Cause that's something I know we're very passionate about. And I think the program has been received pretty good. I mean, you and I are talking here today and I look at your guest list. I'm like, how on earth was I, was I allowed to do this thing with some of just some amazing people? So I think it's being received pretty well and our data is solid. How, how long has the company been around? Only six years. So again, I always I say only six years because it's been an interesting six years. It's been a you know a quick six years, but at the same time, I've been struggling with this thing for thirty nine years, and so there's something else to putting in the reps. And I know we have people on staff, and we hire intentionally people who have struggled in certain aspects. So an example of that is my brother Tyler. He reads at like a second or third grade level, very severe dyslexia. And he's working with students at some elite colleges, just crushing it with them because he systematized his life and all of his reading and his research and his neuropsych and ways to be successful. And it's our job just to pass that down to our students. So we hire intentionally based on that. So there's a lot more, even though it's only six years, we have a lot of life experience and a lot of research built in here. And then also um, our program does get checked by a university to make sure that we're doing and implementing the right research. You know, the whole time I'm wondering, I'm, I'm just picturing all of this in person, but obviously we live in a different world today through technology and the ability to communicate, right? Like the way we are right now is the program, does it use in-person and uh, virtual approaches or is it like, how has it evolved over the last six years? 
What's actually fascinating about this is, so for like our, you know, sixth and seventh graders, if we were to work with a kid remotely, we don't really take them on because you can just see the kid on a different tab playing Minecraft. Like you just see it, right? And so their maturity level is not there yet. However, when we're working with a student on a college campus or a student athlete on a college campus or however that looks, the remote thing actually works very well. And here's why is because you know, when you, if you were to see like a therapist, like let's say my appointment with my therapist, I'm the biggest advocate of therapy, but it's from like, let's say it's Monday at 4 p.m. every single Monday. Well, what we've noticed with our students, that feedback loop is way too slow for them to be successful on a college campus. So why the remote works really well is we can get with a kid on Zoom for 30 minutes on Sunday, 15 minutes on Tuesday, 20 minutes on Thursday, and we can divide that hour or two hours up and we can give them really fast feedback loops because that's just how they learn. And so that's where the remote program tends to actually be nice is it'd be really hard to get a kid to an office for, you know, that quick of, of feedback. Let's talk about the future a little bit, you know, six years in doing a great program. Uh, it's obviously having great uh, impact on students and their uh, academic success. What are your plans for untapped learning and how what the potential is for growth and your kind of dream of how do you like, maybe you've already achieved that dream. It seems like you're, you love what you're doing and it's truly part of your passion. And, uh, but as the founder and CEO, what are you thinking? What are you imagining? I have no idea, <laughs> but that being said, it's less about untapped for me and more about we're losing our best and brightest and the world needs, needs these students, right? So you know, there's so many theories on ADHD and how to evolve, but one that's always landed with me is you have the hunter farmer theory, right? Farmers are traditionally the ones that are good at school. And, you know, you just, you farm and everything is in straight rows and you have that patience where if I water it, you know, it, it will grow over time. Right. And there's people like me with, who are hunters and we have the gift of distractibility, right? Like if you were hunting and a twig broke in the background, like that's very valuable feedback for us may school very hard, but it's valuable feedback. There's a whole bunch of different studies, but we estimate in between 60 and 80% of our CEOs, our entrepreneurs, they have this thing where they have these executive function challenges at one point in time. If you look at the World Jobs Report, the one from 2020 and the one from 2023, with so many things becoming automated, the most sought after skill is people who are creative, see the world differently, think differently, and they can try to solve very hard problems. It's very different than, you know, the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, where we we're just trying to hire people who could do repeatable tasks. So these students who may be a hot mess on college campus right now, the ones who think different, if you help them discipline their gift, they have the ability to be just, just game changers and we need these kids. So for us, it's less about, you know, our program. It's more about educating people what systems, what routines, what habits we can implement. Because if you don't discipline your gift, well, then it means a whole lot of nothing. So just big picture, if we can be a part of this education piece and help these kids get through school, we know that they're going to do big things, but they've got to figure this thing out. And I know it ate me up until 30 and I'm one of the fortunate ones. Well, Brandon, I really admire uh, the work that you're doing and the impact you're having on students. Wish you and you and your organization all the best. And I want to kind of end here by giving our listeners uh, the opportunity to find out more, you know, in terms of learning about untapped learning. Where do they go to like direct them? Give them some guidance on how, how they can find out more about this uh, really mission driven work that you're doing. 
Well, first of all, in, in the show notes, some of the stuff I spoke to, like, you know, we have checklists on how to organize your online portals for college staff. And we have scripts to give their students, like, here's how to advocate for me, like email drafts. I got so tired of, you know, college students putting the entire email in the subject line. I was like, we got to fix this, right? So, so we have like email drafts. So a lot of the stuff in the show notes, you can click and just get all of this stuff and, and pass it along to your students to help them be successful on your campus. But if you just go to untappedlearning.com, that's where we're at. I stay active on LinkedIn and try to post when, whenever I can helpful updates for college students. So I guess those are probably the two best places to find me. But no, I mean, I'm just so grateful for your time and thank you so much for having me. So everyone heard that, untappedlearning.com, check it out. And then we will definitely put links to the in the show notes to uh, in more information so that people can find out about the great work that you're doing. Thanks again for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Connect, Collaborate, Champion. As president of the New American Colleges and Universities, I am honored to work with our network of innovative campuses committed to increasing the social and economic mobility of students from all walks of life. A special thank you to our producer of this episode, George Drake Jr. To learn more about NACU campuses, visit nacu.edu.